0: Welcome to Voice by Matt Podcast. This is Matt Bertho. I have a special guest with me today that I will introduce here in a second, but I wanted to give everyone an update on an application that I've been working with since November called journey Eight. The JourneyAid app has a new playlist every Monday and Thursday. This Monday's playlist is self-sabotage-less. The playlist has been carefully curated. It includes a number of thought-provoking self-empowerment clips. The intention of this playlist is to help you begin to understand what self-sabotage might look like in your own life and to inspire you to begin to navigate it with more conscious awareness each and every day. I have a brand new exclusive video premiering on that playlist, and it will be available Monday. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, which most of you are, please go back and check out the Journey8 app and listen to the playlist Self-Sabotage Less. Be looking for more videos by yours truly on the Journey8 app. Without further ado, my boy, my guest today is... One of my best friends in the whole wide world, we met 2019, October, and uh, I've been working with this guy ever since. Uh, I chose him as my first guest because we worked on showing his voice. And I'll let him talk about that a little bit. I'll let him introduce himself and tell us a little bit about him and where he's from. And then we're going to dive right in because this Voice by map podcast is all about people sharing their inner voice. And what I want to know from my guests all the time is, you know, where did you get this voice? Where did it come from? What happened in your life to make this voice, this strong, amazing, powerful, unique voice come out? So ladies and gentlemen, give it up. With your air claps, or clapping in your cars, or wherever you're listening to Nathan Mansfield.
1: What's up? What's up, guys? Uh, so excited to be here, and so um, humbled for this experience, Matt. Thank you so much for having me as the the first um, interviewee or guest on your show. I appreciate it so much, and and um, obviously, I appreciate our relationship as well. Like Matt and I work work together many many days a week. Um, we're on the phone more than, uh, most, probably most, <laughs> most <laughs> spouses in a relationship. Um, and, uh, we do a lot of things together, a lot of great things for the world. And, uh, it's, it's, it's an honor to have to be on the show today. Um, a little bit about me, I'm 33 years old My Name is Nathan Mansfield grew up in small town, Kansas, uh, went to, uh, Concordia high school, graduated there at 18, went, went to Kansas state and I was there for a semester in architectural engineering. I decided that uh, I had a long desired passion to fulfill um, joining the military It had been kind of a dream of mine as a young, as a young teenager, seeing uh saving private Ryan and a few of the movies really inspired me to serve my country and go make a difference. At 19, I joined the military came down here to Lackland air force base in San Antonio. In fact, it was January 16th, 2007, and I couldn't even fly in because there was an ice storm in San Antonio what are the odds of that <laughs> in San Antonio? It's, I mean, it's January here now and it's, it's 80 degrees. So finally made it down here after a few day delay, went through basic training, went through uh, my school, I was here for about eight months before I went to RAF Lake and Heath, a small town outside of Cambridge in England. I was there for about four months before I went to Kirkuk, Iraq, um, which mm. is the, uh, the city of the Kurds. Uh, I was there for about six months before I came back, finished my tour in England. W- went to North Carolina to Fayetteville, lived there for two two years before I decided I want to go into the special warfare community of the Air Force. So I went down to Destin or Herbert Field, Florida. Went through one of the most rigorous military trainings on the planet, uh, the TACP Schoolhouse. Graduated there uh, first time with honors in my first class. No no washbacks. And from there, I went to my first uh, special warfare assignment or TACP assignment at Fort Carson, Colorado Springs. And uh, from there, I deployed two times from there, one to Afghanistan and then one to uh, Kuwait, where I also spent uh, time in many other countries in the Middle East. Wow! Um, During that tenure, uh, when I first moved to Colorado, I had my first son, Cole. He was now nine years old. I also had my son Carter towards the end of that stint. That was an eight year stint there in Colorado Springs and then moved. I, I volunteered to be an instructor. I wanted to serve in a different capacity in the military. So I, I volunteered to be an instructor down here in, in San Antonio at Lackland Air Force Base at the TACV schoolhouse. I had the time of my life teaching, instructing, mentoring students um, to go put them, and prepare them for the battlefield. Absolutely love that job. Probably my favorite job in the military and then had my third son, Liam. So I'm a father of three boys, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, Rewind back six years, I started my first business in Colorado Springs as a storefront brick and mortar uh, nutrition store that still exists today. Uh, Started out as a business called American Athletic Nutrition, now known as Strong Physiques Nutrition. I also own a e-commerce site that I've had up up and running called Strong Physiques for about four years. um, Distributing, manufacturing, business to consumer goods, uh, specifically in the fitness department, high-end, uh, fitness, uh, leggings, um, tops, the whole gamut of in the fitness arena.
0: You even put put the leggings on. You've even, you've even,
1: I'm about to do that tonight, actually. That's that's why I bought the wig.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's why you bought the wig. Mm
1: -hmm. I got to do it for the launch tonight. So, you know, we have a very heavy female demographic, 98% women who believe in what we do. We're here to serve, to be our best, to make the, to build the best version of of ourselves. And, um, we've got an army of, of awesome ladies that, that follow support, love this brand. And I think we're making waves in the world, uh, by providing an awesome clear cut message of just being your best self, but also with pairing that with amazing products and services. So,
0: yeah. And one of the most amazing products that you sell is called synergy. And I love that product, and and the other thing that our audience needs to know is that Nathan and I also have a coaching community with Hunter Thompson called Nathan and Matt that we started uh, in the coronavirus times. Like in May, we started yep. that of 2020, and we have about we have a really awesome community of people that are growing every day, and we are we're actually taking new applications for that too. So, if you're interested, I'll put the link in the podcast episode. Um, so, Nathan, tell us about Synergy, like, because that that's one of my favorite products. And and the, what I like about this with the Voice by Matt podcast, the telling your story, your inner voice, is like, tell them about Synergy and why it's important to you.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I was, in 2016, I had run my business for four years, and I decided that my dream was always to have my own line. Like I wanted my own line of products, um, because I was kind of fed up with the products in the marketplace. Uh, the products sold at GNCs and the big, the big box stores are, uh, especially in this industry are constantly reformulated, usually not on the label what's actually in the product or it's whatever the label says is typically not full of that in the product sense. Um, so I had this, I had this dream to build my own line and that's when I started strong physiques and I started it with a product called synergy. Now, the motive behind synergy was to have a synergistic effect in the body, meaning that I want to have, I want to aid three or four different areas of, of health in order to create a synergistic effect of, of being your best, strongest recovered, you know, warrior, right? Like to be your best. So I knew that recovery is, is the, is the number one priority. Like if our muscles aren't recovering after working work them out, then, uh, you know, the longer it takes to recover, the longer it takes to repair muscle tissue, the longer it takes to, to build strength and muscle, right? Like that's why, uh, you know, these types of products exist is to re- improve and speed up recovery as much as possible. So we have the recovery aspect, but then I wanted to give you a little bit of spunk, a little bit of energy, a little bit of, mm-hmm. a little bit of vibe. I want you to feel good. Right. So mm-hmm. I added some caffeine and taurine in there. Um, that kind of just get your blood flowing, make you feel good. If it's first thing in the morning, um, you know, it really gets you going. And then I added a few other elements, some anti-inflammatories, um, some things that, uh, help you Im- improve your mood and inc- increase the amount of dopamine. So it's an all around amazing product. Now, the reason I created this is because I, there was just nothing like it in the marketplace. And, you know, in this industry, it's typically a copycat industry. So it's like, you see a formula. And you just copy paste and make the same thing, maybe add, subtract a couple things, or you have the same manufacturer, you just say, Hey, I like their, I like that product, just make the same thing for me, put my label on it, and let's
0: oh, go. Oh wow. It's I didn't know it. they did
1: white. that. Absolutely. It's called white labeling. So very, very, very prominent thing in this industry. Um but I wanted things that were unique to us. I want things that were different. Right. And that's why I built this product from a to Z and I, I put this whole thing together, you know, and it's been one of our most popular products and most well-loved products because it just makes you feel good. It, it recovers you very effectively and it just keeps you going day to day to day. Um, and that's kind of the the message behind that, that product.
0: Yeah. So you are not afraid to take risks. And and the, one of the topics that we're going to talk about today is self-sabotaging how we tell ourselves stories that aren't not necessarily true we we uh do things that are not good for us to sabotage our health to sabotage our success have you ever had that problem as a business owner in strong physiques like making those calls especially like making this product synergy like the are you are you like a master formula guy like that makes
1: no I'm not I'm not a chemist i'm not I've never went to school for this um, I've just had enough experience in the industry to know what's good and what's not and I've done enough enough research on my own and of course uh, everything in business or many things in business come come with heavy risk mm-hmm. especially you know you're talking about if you don't have a lot of capital starting up and you make this product that you think is great and they, if, if it's not great and it flops then you're out of that capital that would keep your business running so Um, but I'm definitely not risk adverse, uh, by any means, um, which is why I think, uh, I am the entrepreneur that I am because part of being an entrepreneur means taking massive risk, especially when, uh, the odds are kind of against you. Um, but yeah, I've kind of lived my whole business career like this, to be honest.
0: So one of the, one of the, the main things that I love about you is, the stories that you have. And part of, part of our, our journey in finding our voice, I remember when we started working together, November of 2019, why don't you tell them like what, what you were struggling with that you really, really wanted me to help you with. And let's, let's dive into the, to the deep work because that's, that's what, that's what people are going to get most out of this message from you is your vulnerability and your story, man. Like you, you know, everybody sees the big macho man, like tough guy that, you know, has an incredible speaking voice right now speaks with such, such great passion now, but talk about that journey with me. Like in November of 2019, like rewind back there and just kind of tell them what we talked about and what you said, like some of the challenges and let's dive, let's go, let's go there. Let's go.
1: Matt, I think that, um, growing up, I always knew I wanted to make a big impact on the world. I didn't know what, what that would be, what fashion, what that looked like. Um, but I, I knew that being on a stage and being in front of a lot of people and having a profound message that would change people's lives was something that I was interested in. And as I, uh, definitely, as I went through my military years, and I, I did, I, I did speak in some events and I spoke, a, a, did some training. Um, you know, I was petrified to be honest. I was completely petrified. Why? And even, even to rewind the tape back to high school, my first public speaking course, my freshman year, I, I literally, when I went to give my first speech, it was on how to install a subwoofer in your car, you know, back, <laughs> in, the, back <laughs> in the, back in the nineties and early two thousands. That was important. That was in your car. Yeah. Me and my sister were very good at it. My dad taught us how to do it and we could, we could wire up someone's subs and amplifier and everything within a couple, (laughs) couple hours. So, you know, I was like, you know, this is something I know how to do pretty well. So I thought it would be pretty easy to, to give a speech on how to hook up a sub. Well, it was devastating. I got up, I was shaking like this. Hmm. Uh, I couldn't even, I couldn't even catch my voice. Uh, My voice was trembling I literally, I, I think I got like a D on that first speech and I wanted to run out of the place and never come back because I was so petrified. And I've kind of been that way my whole life. Luckily, you know, through my military years, I was putting, put in some places where I had to speak, but even like when I would go, like, let's say I won an award, uh, like an annual award from military and I would be up in front of like 500 people. Thought of even having to get on that stage, not even say a word, was like I didn't even want to win the award because I didn't want to have to get on stage. (laughs) Oh
0: my god!
1: And I didn't like, and I didn't have to say anything. Like I would literally, like the thought of me having to do that would would give me like uh, that almost like if you're looking over the edge of a building about to jump off. Like that's Mm. the kind of feeling I would get because I was so scared to be in front of people. And you know, throughout the military, I kind of had some opportunities to speak and train, and I, I knew I had to get myself out there. Uh, if I wanted to make a profound impact in the world, especially in, in that place in the military, I knew I had to. And, um, uh, so, so as, as we, we get to this point where I've become an op- entrepreneur and I'm having this bigger, this bigger vision and, and goals of, of the impact I want to make on the world. I know that there, there's a, there's a necessary and mandatory, um, thing, uh, for me to learn. And that's how to speak in front of people with, with passion, with conviction and, you know, So after I ran into you in St. Louis and I, I I found what you do, I had been looking for someone who could help me with that. Mm. I was looking for someone who was like, they could just show me like, Hey, like you're going to be okay. Like, let me teach Mm. you. Let me show you the ropes. Let me, let me show you how to get up there with confidence. And that's what I really needed in my life. I was, I was actually actively searching for that when I ran into you. I don't know if I ever told you that. Mm. Um, and, and then once I found out what you did, I was like, this is what I need. And it's been a journey. So from that moment, um, you know, you spoke very confidently that you could help me. And I believed in you from the moment Mm -hmm. that I met you from the first time I, I heard you talk about what you do. And, you know, even when you and I, how
0: could I not help you? Like your heart is so giant, dude. Like (laughs) I was like, man, this guy, is afraid to speak in front of people and he's got all of that inside of him and and that that's that that's kind of one of my gifts is seeing that that greatness in people and pulling it out and say hey look look what you could be man um so i really appreciate you saying that because i knew i knew the second i met you i was like man this guy there's he's special there's something real special about him so so tell me like what was the breakthrough for you on the journey with me in the last, you know, almost year and a half, almost
1: the breakthrough to finding my voice. Yeah. And to speak passionately with conviction about, I get goosebumps. I, got me too. Goosebumps I just did that, too. I just uh, did too. Um, the breakthrough was finding myself. Hmm. The breakthrough was healing from my past mm. the breakthrough was believing in myself. It had nothing to do with, with, uh, being on a stage in front of 500 people, the people have nothing to do with it. It all has to deal with me. Right? That's right. Like it's not the people that I'm scared of. I'm scared of myself or I was. Mm. And, and when I stopped being scared of myself is when I stopped worrying about what people thought, And I said, if I have a valuable message to deliver to people that I had better, I had better open up my mouth and speak because that's an opportunity, the opportunity that I have to give my gift to help someone, maybe not 500 people in that moment, maybe one person, but this gift, this, this message that I have is not to be held back. Mm -mm. It's to be spoken. And it's up to me to break through my own insecurities, my own fears, my fears of my own self in order to be able to speak the way I need to, to the people that, that are interested in that message.
0: And and uh, why, I mean, I know why, but I want you to tell the the audience, why do you feel like you pushed that lion down so much? Like, you know, why, why do you feel like you couldn't talk about the passionate things that made Nathan Mansfield goosebumps who Nathan Mansfield really is
1: because i didn't feel worthy man i didn't I, I didn't feel worthy. i didn't feel worthy of my message why well i i i think if i retrace i i've i've, I've lacked worthiness my entire life mm. dating from like dating back to my childhood mm. and and rather than trying to seek worthiness within myself. I just did things to mask that and, and gained, gained a different style of confidence in myself to mask the way I really felt about my inside. Right. Mm. Um, it's why it's, it's the main reason I have, you know, 80, 90, 100 pounds of muscle on me is because I was so insecure with my inside that I was like, I can fix my outside
0: easily. Right. Man nation. You've never said that, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead.
1: Like, like I can fix my outside easy. Like put, like I can work. I work hard, man. I work harder than most people. I work longer, harder. So, you know, this, and, and man, to be completely honest, I'm having this thought right now that this is what most entrepreneurs do. And, and, um, and people who are very success driven because what can they control? What are the variables they can control? Bingo. They can control how hard they work. They can control how long they work. They can control the, their business, but guess what? They can't control in that moment. They think so. Anyways, what's inside, how they feel about it. what's in here. Right. And and, this and we're taught,
0: year, especially as men, we're taught to bring, like, right. not, not yeah. show those emotions
1: at right. all. Right. You just, just
0: and you, and in the military, you were even taught. We're, we're not going to show that.
1: Well, 100%. You know, Matt, there's, there's, when you're, when you're at 3am rifle in hand, body armor, helmet, a backpack full of food, water, ready to go out and kill for the next four days. Hmm. I can't think about feelings and emotions. I have to be so zoned in that if someone's ready to shoot me in the face, if someone's ready to kill me, that I'm, I'm quicker, I'm more responsive. I'm a hundred percent focused on that target. So that I don't get killed and the people around me don't get killed. So feelings and emotions and ward are like, honestly, would will, will get you killed. They'll get you killed. So I, I like in, in, in the military, I had to suppress. And this is, this is a big problem with veterans. This is a big problem with the mental health of veterans. And in fact, Matt, the way they treat you in the military is that if you go to mental, the mental health clinic to be seen, typically it, it um, disqualifies you from even being able to go on a deployment or even to even hold a rifle. So in my career, if you're disqualified because you go say, Hey, like, Hey, things aren't going right up here. I need to see some help. They're going to go. The first thing they're going to do is they're going to take your rifle from you. Meaning you're not allowed to draw a rifle. If you can't draw a rifle, you can't do your job and as, you know, being that I'm a combat in uh, a combat job. So wh- why would anybody go to mental health to, see help, to seek help if they know that it pretty much takes away their career?
0: So that's the last what, place you want to go.
1: What happens, if, like, what happens if, if you're not able to hold a rifle or carry a rifle? Then you can't be in my job or you can't be in a combat job. If you can't be in a combat job and the Air Force is, is their numbers and everywhere else and all the other jobs are filled, then guess what? See you later. Now you don't have a job. Wow. You're out of a job. So they're starting to get better at the rehabilitative approach, but definitely in the military, uh, for me, emotions are suppressed.
0: So as you guys can tell, man, like this is legit, dude. Like Nathan has no problem speaking passionately about what he believes in now. Like, you know, when, when we started, I remember talking to you on a zoom call, much like we are right now and being like, dude, you just have to talk like this. And you were like, what Remember do you mean? Moment. I was, you were like, I don't, I don't know what you mean. And I was like, you just <laughs> need to talk like you're talking to me right now, man. And you know, little by little, it started like this super, I call I call him Superman. The Superman started coming out into the world and saying hello. And you know, in voice coaching, I call that your soul comes out to say hello. And one of the moments that superhero Nathan, where I identified, there's something different about Nathan. It was this moment. I was down in San Antonio, we were cooking dinner, and uh, he said, "You want to see this picture?" Or maybe maybe it was. I think Scarlett said, "You want to see this picture?" And I was like, "What picture?" And she showed me this picture of Nathan looking like. His eyes are all giant and big and he looks like he just went through hell. And so the next day I took Nathan down uh, to his lower balcony and we started talking and I was like, dude, uh, what's up with that picture? I can't get it out of my head. And then Nathan proceeded to tell me this amazing story about what I call His awakening, and and in this in this moment, people that are listening, this this story represents Nathan's past. But what's more important about it is, like me, I know for me, I threw away my yearbooks, I threw away my past. I didn't want to remember it. I didn't want to look back at it. I didn't want to look back at the bad guy quotes that I was. And so I completely ignored and forgot all about my past. And it wasn't until recently, both Nathan and I, we've been talking about this a lot, about reclaiming our past. Because in a way, it is self-sabotaging when we just throw away our past and we, and we sabotage the parts that made us who we are today. And so Nathan, if you will, dive into that story a little bit and tell them what happened and what was going on and, and tell them about like the man that is the hero to me, because this is a story no one knows.
1: Yeah. And I think that there's a, yeah, just to, just to caveat that real quick is um, when we, when we suppress all of our past and our feelings and our mistakes and everything like that, when we just fully just forget about it, Um. <clears throat> we start to see problems that revisit later down the road, right? Like, um, it's like, so like, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a very big issue of self sabotage when we just think we can suppress things and not talk about them or even, even just, uh, you know, make them not to be important of our past. Like all those things are so important. And that's what I did my whole life. Until this, you know, until I was 32, I just, I just threw everything in the trash just like you did. And I think a lot of men do this. Um, but you know, I hope, I hope what you take from this is, I, and I'll jump into my story is that, you know, you have to learn how to appreciate your past, regardless of how good or bad you were and all your experiences and all your memories are very important. It doesn't mean you should relive traumatic experiences um, and ex- experiences, emotions again. However, it, it does mean that you shouldn't just forget about them and throw them in the closet. So, in this, in this um, situation in Afghanistan, was something really I, I had just kind of thrown away in the closet uh, until I met Matt. And he's like, well, you know, we, we started having more conversations digging deeper into my life and then, and then things started to come out and, you know, I finally told him the story. Um, but this story was, you know, this is probably Matt, Matt calls it the awakening. And I, th- I think that I can agree that it was very much an awakening moment in my life. Um, Cause it's the closest to death I've ever been. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think when you're that close to death, you start, especially afterwards, you have this moment of clarity. That's like, "Oof! like that was so close that I, I need to, I need to pay attention. Like I need to pay attention to what I'm doing. I need to pay I need to, I need to be grateful for everything that I have. Um, you know, when we go to war, we don't, we don't leave thinking that we're not coming home. It is a thought though. You know, I remember, I remember before that deployment, I remember the most heart wrenching day of my entire life to date was leaving my son, Cole. Like I, I uh, more goosebumps. And I could, I could cry right now because the feeling of when I had to drive to the airport and leave my two-year-old boy, um, you know, it was, was absolutely devastating. Well, and Um,
0: military people have to do that every day. And I think, I think even the public, we take that for granted.
1: It's, it's an incredibly challenging and challenging, uh, career to be honest, to leave. But like so, so here's the thing too: is like, like I said, when we leave too, there's the possibility of not coming home. It's when you give that last hug and that last kiss that this could be the last one, and and especially going into a conflict like Afghanistan in a, in a combat job where I know going in that bullets are going to be slinging, like that's a tough one to swallow. Like this might be the last hug. This might be the last kiss for real you know, a lot of the military were behind, like, even my previous job, we're behind the scenes. Um, and the, the risk of death is, is very low, even if you're in Afghanistan, but when you're in the front lines, when you're in combat, it's a whole nother story. So I'll take you back to, uh, 2000, uh, would have been early 2012, actually. Um, early 2012, I was in the Southern part of Afghanistan. Uh, I left, I actually left on on Cole's birthday. Uh no, I'm sorry, I left on my birthday, December third.
0: <laughs> Happy um, birthday.
1: Yeah, I left the day of my birthday. I think I turned twenty-four. Oh, 24 wow. that year. Um I I knew going in, you know, I, I found out where I was going before I left. And I was doing a ton of research. And this area was occupied by the Canadians two years prior, and no, no American troops had been there since, which the last cited publicized information on this location was a lot of Canadian troops dying like a lot. So I went into this going, Holy crap. Like I actually had to stop myself from doing research on the area because I was starting to freak myself out a bit because it was a very heavily Taliban controlled area. We were going in to be the first people in the last two years, meaning that, you know, typically they've got a stronghold there. So you know, in the in the winter time, the Taliban doesn't typically fight. They they're they don't like the cold. They like to sit in their little mud huts, sit by their fires, and, and honestly, they don't want to fight. And they know that you know we've got the upper hand always. We've got you know hundred million dollar jets. We've got all the technology, night vision goggles, cold weather stuff. But you know, so they want to pick and choose when they want to fight. So as as I hit boots on the ground in Afghanistan in December, it was very cold. And my first few missions were like bone-chilling cold, and you know we would go through village to village. We would go out on helicopters, be out for three, four, five days. We go mm-hmm. village to village, searching, searching, asking, questioning the villagers for um, you know is there any Taliban here? Because yeah, we we're basically trying to eradicate the Taliban from this 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 whole um, section of own of land that we technically owned or or um, controlled. So you know the first couple months really. Nothing. It was very quiet. We'd go out, nothing. Go out again, nothing. And as we started, uh, we started hitting fighting season, which starts in March. I knew that things were going to start heating up a little bit. I knew the things were going to start like we're going to start getting a little bit of a little bit of getting our, get ourselves in a little bit more as we got into March and April. So uh, we're prepared to go on this mission. We've been planning for about a month for this mission. Uh, we're told that the Taliban essentially in this area is going to outnumber us. You know, we take out in our, in a, in a uh, company level operation, we're taking out 150 to 200 soldiers with half of those being Afghanistan nationals. So we are um, getting prepared to move. We know that, that we're going to be heavily outnumbered. We're talking about 500, are talking about 500 plus Taliban fighters in this area. Oh. Um, you know, so we're, we're a little nervous, but you know, we got the, we got the power of, of, you know, good jets, good bombs. That's our specialty. We're gonna fight. We're gonna make it happen. So we prepare. We fly up that night. Uh, the night we typically go out at like three a.m. So you don't get sleep that night. That's for damn sure. Nor nor can you sleep. Um, we get every, get everything packed. Bags packed. We go sit in the chalk line waiting for the helicopters to pick us up. We have two CH forty seven not Chinooks, big the dual rotor helicopters. Uh, fly in. You know, blowing dust, sand everywhere pick up the bat, pick up our rucksacks pick up our rifles uh um march on onto the Chinook and off we go now as we're flying in everybody's got under under nods or night vision goggles we start to see flares going up and typically that means something that means that that um villagers are warning other villagers that we're coming
0: oh my god so
1: now the concern about that is that a CH 47 Chinook is very slow. The fly is very slow and it's a big, big moving target. So the concern is at this point, as I see the flare go up is that they've got spotters on mountaintops waiting to shoot us down. Um, luckily we, we come in safely that night. We land and we land, uh, kind of on the side of a mountain. We make our way up this, this, uh, pretty big mountaintop to look over this whole village that is our operation for the day. Very like probably about, six football football fields long of just mud huts. And the way we set up for this operation is that myself and my, my partner the JTAC on the ground, I set up with a company commander who makes all the decisions and runs the battle. And then we send a bunch of soldiers down into the village with the Afghanistan's, uh, the Afghanistan army to question, search, seizure, find weapons, find HME or uh, homemade explosives and, and that's something
0: I didn't know is that the Afghan soldiers were actually working with you also, and that you guys kind of helped train them. Correct? Yes. Wow. Yes.
1: Yeah, so part of our, part of our responsibility was to train them how to how to fight and how to be their own, um, sustainable fighting force. Okay. Yep. And, and the, the reality too is that you can't trust half of them. So even going on missions scared the living shit out of me, especially getting on a Chinook where the rifles are pointing in the back of my head kind of scares me a little bit. And they're, they're not trained enough to even know how to, how to handle a rifle. Right. Yeah. So we set up, we get in, uh, get everything set up about 5. AM. We're looking overlooking the village, um, under night vision goggles, watching movement, the uh, army patrol with the Afghanistan national army, um, start to make their way down to the village to wake up all the villagers and to start searching houses flipping everything upside down, looking for any signs of Taliban weapons, any of this stuff, right? Anything that we find is clues. We start trying to dig, dig, dig until we figure out where, where the bad guys are at. So this whole day goes on. And as we're sitting up on the mountaintop, we have the ability to intercept radio communications. Um, They know everything about what's happening. We're listening to the radio communications. They're talking about where we're at. They're talking about where they're going to attack from. They're talking about one thing that I know that I remember that's, gives me chills this day. As I kept saying, uh, today we're going to fight. Today's a good day to die. Wow. And you know, in yeah. all the other missions we would hear, we would hear them talk and they would like to, They would like to talk a lot, but they never did anything. So we kind of had this, this notion that something might happen because they did talk all day and there was heavy communication about them. Like today's a good day to die. They were prepared to die as were we, um, but, but, but definitely not in the plans. Like, hmm. you know, no. um, definitely not in the plan. So they go through the entire village. Um, all the villagers say there's no Taliban here. Uh, we know that there's, that's false because we've been hearing them on the radio. And, um, so kind of our our obligation at this point is to move on to the next village. So as we, um, we start packing up everything, we're like, okay, if they're going to attack, they're going to attack. If not, well, you know, we, we have no evidence that they're here other than hearing on the radio. And I can't get positive identification to, um, actually, capture or kill someone at this point. So, about it's about 5 6 p.m., we start making our way down the mountain. Um, I'm in the lead of the patrol with the company commander with my GPS. I'm leading us to our helicopter landings on our HLZ to where we're about to get picked up to go to the next village. Um, we make it about 200 meters down the mountain into a uh, kind of a full, washed out valley, uh, as flat as a football field. When we decided to take a short halt because we're a little bit off on our navigation and, and all of a sudden I hear snap, 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 snap. So you
0: just, you just in that, the, the short halt is where you just kind of stop for a second.
1: Yeah. It kind of gives everybody a moment to grab a drink of water, readjust their rucksack. Cause we're carrying 80 to hundred pound rucksacks. Um, you know, take a little break and then head back down the mountain.
0: And then all of a sudden,
1: yeah. And then you hear, you hear the, snaps. um, and then quickly you hear zings, zing, 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 zing. Oh. Um, and then, so that's, that's when, that's when we knew things were, was real, uh, that, that we, you know, this is the first combat we had taken or the first, um, um, fire we had taken on this, this deployment. Most of the people, most of the soldiers, uh, this is the first time they've ever been shot at. Uh, because nothing prepares you for war. We had a lot of young, young guys on this, on this uh, deployment. So this is a first now, oh, man. the first, first combat what, experience.
0: What were you thinking when bullets are flying past your head in that moment?
1: Um, my first thought was, Oh shit, Find cover. And there's no <laughs> cover. We we're like I said, we were in a, a washed out Valley. That's as flat as a football field, getting bullets rained on, on us from, from a high vantage point on top of the mountain. In fact, it's right where we just came down from. They, they oh. came far back. Um, now the the confusion uh, came in when the first thing I saw, I looked, I looked up the mountain and I saw, I saw all the muzzle flares uh, flashes coming from the top of the mountain. I knew for a fact we were taking fire from there. Um, so the company commander starts orchestrating chaos. <laughs> like, Hey, you go here, you take fire over here. You go take cover here. Um, my job at this point is I have a what's called a satcom radio or a satcom uh, antenna that's about the size of this can, and then it flares <laughs> out and has four wings on it that okay. I keep in the back here in my rucksack. So if something happens, essentially what I do is I I get my buddy, I say, hey, give me the antenna. He he unzips my pouch, I pull it out, I flip the wings out, I hold it up to the sky, and I start calling for um, air support. Okay, so bullets start coming, they're getting closer and closer. And in fact, they're coming from three different directions now. Like I'm seeing them coming from all over the place oh. and this is, this is starting to get really chaotic and really bad. Uh, I mean, the amount of bullets per minute flying by my feet was far exceeding 50 to a hundred per minute. Like I'm talking about bouncing off the ground, right in front of my feet flying within inches of my ears. Um, you know, I, I, I can almost see the, the zing by my face. <sighs> no cover. No cover. That's the worst part about this. Normally in most, in most situations, there's something like you I can get behind a wall, a car or something. Like I'm, I'm just literally in the free might as well be on, on a 50 yard line of a football field and say, shoot at me from, from, you know, from the announcer's booth up. Oh my gosh. Right. And, and so at this point I know, I know like, this is really bad. Uh, everybody starts to get uh, starts returning fire. The, I got snipers right beside me. I've got my EOD guys, the guys that um, um, dismantle bombs and stuff. They're they're right behind me. They start shooting over my head, so I I would I dug down. I know that right now my my saving grace is is we carry a, a radio that's about the size of an Xbox in our rucksack. Okay, that's how we can communicate very close. We can communicate very far with sa- satellite communication. So I know the for a fact that if I've got my body armor on, I've got my helmet on. I know that if I can get an extra layer of protection from the bullets in front of me, that I've got a chance of my radio stopping a bullet because they're getting so close that I know I'm in trouble. Uh, I know that I'm in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. And now the other thing is, is that my profession in the job and the in the military, being a JTAC, it comes with a bounty from the Taliban. Okay. Because they know that we're the guys that call in the the crazy airstrikes that that destroy them to the pieces, so they put a bounty on our heads. Literally, mm. put a bounty on us. In fact, they look for the guy that looks a little bit different because he's in the air force. You can usually tell a difference in a uniform or a difference in a helmet. The guy that also has the the antenna holding up, right? That's the guy we want to kill because if he gets a hold of someone, we're about to get five hundred or a thousand pound bombs dropped on our foreheads. <laughs> so they know they know the drill. So, and of course, as soon as I hold up the antenna to start calling for, uh, for air support, the bullets get closer and closer and closer and closer. Mm. So I, I, I sort of lay down, I put, you know, most of the bullet fires, the gunfire is coming straight ahead of me. I put my rucksack with the radio right in front of me, hoping that if a bullet gets close enough to my heart, that it will stop the, the radio at least stop the bullet. Okay. So at least I'll I, you know it might save my life. So this is going on. We're probably like seven or eight minutes in. Nothing has slowed down. In fact, it's gotten worse. I'm holding up, and I can't get a hold of anybody. I can't get a hold of anybody. Um, I'm calling up uh, Trinity, who's our who's our the, the people that manage all the all the jets uh, in the airspace. Basically, what they do is they go, okay, this guy's in trouble. Here's where he's at. They scramble a jet, the closest jet to us. So I'm getting like broken communication. So I, I kind of hear parts of it. And I know that if I just keep talking, if I just keep talking, I'm going to get someone and I needed them just to get my message fully, eventually to know where I'm at. It just, here's my, my GPS coordinates. I need someone here ASAP. And that's what I just kept saying. I need AI, I need air support immediately. I need it. I need it now. Um, now also as I'm like trying to figure out how I'm going to return fire, and get my antenna out, um, I have a cord that's wrapped through around my neck here that goes to my microphone. I have a, an earpiece and that, um, it picks up the vibration of voice as a microphone. Okay. Wow. So as I'm, as I'm trying to get everything situated, I get my rucksack on the ground to pull my antenna out. Uh, because my, my buddy, my, my air, other air force guy, he's fully returning fire and he's with the commander. So he's, he's, you know, 10, 15 meters away from me. In fact, at this point, I'm the sole guy left in the middle of the field. Like, and, and everybody's kind of covering me and, and they're, I think they're all looking out for me at this point, but I'm just out there alone. I'm kind of like the lone guy, 10, 15 meters from anybody just holding up this antenna because I know I have to get air support.
0: So you're in the middle of a valley with hills or mountains all around you, three spots, they're shooting fire and you're alone and everybody's kind of 15 meters away.
1: Yeah. Everybody's about 15 meters behind me. Um, they found some sort of cover, like, you know, maybe like a little rolling landscape that they can kind of at least maybe lay down and, and return fire. But for me, I, n- I know the fact that is, that I have to get this, this communication out ASAP where people are going to start dying and it's going to be really bad. <clears throat> so what I was saying was that that cord pulled out of my ear. Um, and also, so here's what I'm doing. I'm, I have a, I have a piece here on my chest that I use to transmit. I push a little button to transmit the radio. I have a, uh, an bone mic that I'm trying to hold in my ear. Cause I can't, it's like this air pod. If it falls out and you're trying to get it back in while you get shot at, it's really difficult. And it goes around your ear. The other thing I'm trying to do is hold my antenna in the air. So I'm like essentially oh trying to do my one of these. Gosh. And then I'm also have my rifle that obviously I'm not shooting back at this moment. Cause I have no ability to, um, but I just keep going. I decided I'm holding it in there and, and I'm hearing bits and, uh, of traffic coming back. So I just keep saying, I keep saying our location. I need ASAP. I need, I need uh air support ASAP. I need someone. I need someone. This is really bad. And of course, th- most of the time they probably can't even hear me because there's gunfire, so much gunfire around me that we're returning fire that they can't even hear what's going on. Um, but I remember him saying he confirmed eventually after like three four five minutes, he said he confirmed. Now we sit and wait. I don't know the closest jet, I don't know if it's going to be five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes before we can get some sort of support. So luckily we had a, a really good sniper uh, who had a, had a, a 50 cal sniper rifle, uh, a Barrett. And he was just slinging. He was right now. He was probably like the closest guy to me about 10 meters away. And I look over at one point and he's just slinging rounds. Like he's like, oh, I got one. I mean, he's just slinging them because uh, he's got the ability to reach. These guys are about 800 meters from us with the, with a normal M4 or five, five, six, it's really hard to reach effectively 800 meters. So, I mean, he's got the advantage of the bear at 50 cal. He's just, I think he's just knocking dudes down. Thank God he was I, That guy. I, I remember talking to him several times after that event. And he mm. probably, he might be a guy that saved my life to be honest. Wow. Um, so anyways, all of a sudden we get a GR four, which is a British tornado. Uh, um, full Brit comes in. Checks into our frequency. We ask him as quickly as possible to scream in over about a hundred feet over the mountaintop, just to scare the living crap out of out of the Taliban at this point. The point of that is to break contact. So if 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 you've ever seen a jet fly, especially a fighter jet fly a hundred feet off the ground over your head, it can oh, scare yeah. the living crap out of you. It's so loud. And and not only that, is you know what's coming next, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, Bombs. you know what's coming next. Right. This so point, Nathan, where were we the
0: where would the Afghans go?
1: The Afghans ran away. <laughs> <laughs> they ran away. They were like, fact, "Deuce, I'm out." In fact, we didn't even bring them back on the helicopter because we don't know where the hell they went. They literally ran away.
0: Oh my! So you wow. So your instinct was right.
1: Yeah, like, they might just leave. I've, what their motive was. I don't know. I don't know if they were scared of the gunfight. I don't know if they didn't want to kill their buddies on top of the mountain, who knows, but they disappeared. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they disappeared.
0: So anyway, now, sorry.
1: The other, the other crazy thing about this is like what, what this, these, these guys were so smart. They got us in an L-shaped ambush. meaning mean, they attacked us from this side. They attacked us from straight on the mountain. And then what they did is they took the, they took what's called a Hilux truck, like a little Toyota truck. And they mounted a machine gun in the back of it. And they drove down the road. Now, we had a, a comp or a platoon here and we had a platoon over here over on another mountaintop. What they did was they drove right in between us so that we would ca- get caught in each other's gunfire.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So what they did is they drove here they started shooting at the guys across from us, our other platoon, and we were actually taking fire from our own, our own, from oh the rounds. Oh my gosh. Like, like heavy. And the reason you know that is because of tracer fire. Whew. Um, so here we are, taking rounds from here, taking rounds from here, taking rounds from here. Very bad situation to be in. Luckily, the, the tornado came screaming through uh, and, and gave us enough time to break contact, to get a, a, a place situated, and to um, kind of recapture on the enemy with with all the rounds going down down towards them. And um, they ended up actually running away once the jet showed up. Oh, they yeah. completely they took off, and it was actually dark, anyways they would have stopped fighting at dark anyways, because we have night vision goggles and they don't. So they're not going to fight when it's not to their advantage. Um, so all in all, like quite an experience, but I would say I still, this to this day, I still, still don't know how I didn't get shot. Um, the, like, I can't even estimate the amount of rounds that were probably within five to six inches of my body. I can't, I, I, I would say thousands to be honest. Um, especially once I held my antenna up, And, you know, it made me really think, you know, after we, after everything calmed down, we were figuring out what the next step was that night. My company commander came over to me and he goes, you know, army gives the air force a lot of shit. They give us a lot of crap, uh, because they think we're not capable, you know, we're not ground pounders, but they don't, they don't realize what we bring to the fight when it comes to Mm -hmm. air power. And we're highly trained. They, they kind of, until they work with us and we save their life, they don't, they kind of underestimate us. Well, the commander comes over, comes over to me and he goes, he goes, Nathan, I will take you anywhere, mm-hmm. any mission, anytime. I trust you so much because he knew that my job in that moment was to save the entire 200 people on that mission. My job was that radio communication, which got that airplane so close. that allowed us to, to, uh, to stop taking so much fire. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he believed in me from that point forward. He knew what, he knew I wasn't going to uh, crumble and con- once bullets started flying I did exactly what I needed to do at the risk of my own life, yeah. and you know, as I as I was sitting there that night, I started to really think about like, holy crap! Part of me was so excited because that was the it was, and and in, in such an odd way, the coolest thing I'd ever ever experienced, oh, but also man. the scariest thing I'd ever experienced. Right?
0: Yeah, and I just want to say, like, your voice. Your voice, like, literally saved the day. Like your voice going over that freaking—I mean, I didn't even think about that about being a part of the story until you said it. And this is voiced by Matt, the podcast. But literally, your voice in a time of crazy fear, crazy, like I'm about to die, was heard over a freaking speaker into a satellite signal and they finally heard you and you saved like 200 people's lives bro because of your voice because of your spirit because of your heart and and i i just man that you guys will get you'll have to see the picture eventually and um i think Nathan this is a testament to the things that we fear most are the things that we have to attack.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: And I, I know, like, I could understand why you haven't told that story because it's it shakes you. And I mean, even I've heard it like two or three times now, and I'm still, my adrenaline is like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but But I think the profound part is you use your inner voice. You're strong lion powerful voice and it just came out of you because you had to say something right I had to bullets I my, flying I was, by I was
1: yeah I was thrown in the fire and the fearful fire and had no choice but for the most roaring you know aggressive call for help that could ever be stated right Like that's, that's what had to come out of me in that moment with, with extreme courage. That was the only choice, but that's a very good metaphor for life. It's a very good metaphor for life is the the scariest things, the most fearful things that if we can just step into it with so much courage that we can, we can, we, you know, metaphorically speaking, we can change the dynamic of our lives or other people's lives. In my, in my situation, I was able to save 200 lives. But in your situation, it's something completely different, but it could could definitely change the landscape of someone's life or it could change the landscape of your own life by just stepping into that fear, having courage and taking care of what you need to. And many times, Matt, it's just, it's just deciding, Mm. being decisive and jumping into the fire.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think, I think about like cries for help like a mother that loses her child or like, you know, I, I had like a panic attack this summer and I, at 3am and I thought literally I was going to die. And I remember being on a 911 with them and being like, you need to come right now. Like my, my soul and my spirit was like, like throwing up all over the place. Like I had, there was no filter. And I, I think that that's where we're getting to with a lot of this is our past we need to embrace because it taught us who we are in that Mm -hmm. moment nathan mansfield you are a hero you saved 200 people's lives including your own so that you could go back and see your boy cole and i know in those moments like when we're about to die or when when we're trying to save someone's life that's what we think about is our legacy our torch who, we, who who needs to be with us in our lives still? And who, who needs our impact? And I think when I was coaching you, I was like, dude, you have to tell the story. Because this is the essence of who you are, bro. Like the lion inside of you, the superhero inside of you. Like it awakened on that day. Because after that moment, you started the business idea. Correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and then everything after that is just a really incredible multiple parts of your story that continue to this day.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: So Nathan, I mean, we, we went long today. Is there, is there anything that you want to share, uh, kind of wrapping that up to the listeners?
1: I think that I love, I love the concept of the show. Um, Not, not, not too many people think about finding their voice Mm. and your mission in this world to help people find their voice is a beautiful one because many people don't even understand that they don't, they don't own their own voice. Mm. Um, but, but to all the listeners, everything that you've gone through in this point of your life has led you to be who you are today. There is a beautiful voice inside of you. Like there is, there is such a beautiful, strong, profound voice inside of you. And it's time to find it. It's time to understand that, that, that voice can't be restricted or held back or muted anymore. Mm. That voice needs to be strong. And it like, maybe that voice is for you. Isn't to be strong for 500 people, a thousand people, 10,000 people. Maybe it's just for you or your family, Mm. but that's, that voice needs to come out. And that voice needs to be strong for the people around you and for yourself. And like, that's probably one of the biggest lessons of life that I've had to learn because even after that event, for me, my voice wasn't being heard. I suppressed it still. And it wasn't until my journey with you, Matt, that I learned how to let my voice be heard Hmm. that I, that I, that I needed to speak not just about this situation, but about other things in my life that have made me who I am. And now my voice is heard. It's heard as a, as a, as a symbol of love. Encourage and, and hope for people to be their best and to not waste another day. It's not miss another opportunity to take risks and to be themselves authentically. Mm. That's what life's all about. Yeah, bro. that's what finding your voice is all about.
0: Yes, 1000%, Nathan. And that what I'm so like, I'm so blessed, so proud of you, but I'm so blessed. To have you as a best friend and a business partner, family, like, um, you guys, I know you listen to Nathan talk and you're like, how in the world did this guy not share his heart before? And I'm, thank you for saying all that about, you know, me and what this story is about. You can hear my son in the background, Leo. He has a powerful voice. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so to the listeners, um, this is a very special second episode of Voice by Matt that I knew when I had the idea to do this podcast, there was only one person that, that could be the first guest, and that was Nathan, because he he gave me a shot as my first business client to help him find his voice, and as you can tell today... Uh, his voice is raging. It's a, it's a raging lion now, full of heart and love. And this man has cried on camera. He's cried on the coaching calls with me. Um, I've cried in front of him. He's cried in front of me. We, We tell, we tell all, and it, it, it needs to be more embraced that men, especially for sure. Men show who they really are show their true voice, show their true colors, and are not afraid to be themselves and to show blatant, raw, passionate emotion. Because the world needs more people like Nathan Mansfield to share their stories. And that's what this whole show is about, is about people sharing their story about how they found their voice. And Nathan Mansfield found his voice on that day and it's been growing ever since. Um, so bro, thank you so much for being a part of my journey.
1: And, and likewise, thank you so much. It's like, it's been an honor being on the show and it honestly is so humbling being your best friend and being a business partner. Um, you're, you're a huge part of the man I am today and I appreciate that so much. So this man. is awesome, but bro. brother, I love you, brother. I love you too, my man.
0: Thank you guys for listening. And, uh, we'll see you on episode three.